in. This is undoubtedly one of the most poignant pictures of a sinner in the inspired portrait gallery of those who were saved by the free and sovereign grace of God. What a scene it is set before us. We can see, as it were, in our mind's eye, this publican making his way to the house of God. But there he is, standing afar off. His eyes are cast down. He's beating vehemently upon his breast and crying out in anguish, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. That prayer is undoubtedly the most fatal part of the whole scene. And I tell you, men and women, this is real prayer. Indeed, there is nothing but prayer in all that he said. You see, here is prayer bursting forth from an anguished heart. And truly, This was blessed prayer. I sought in reading the passage to give the emphasis that I believe that needs to be given to the opening words of verse 14. When the Son of God said, I tell you, he is only too conscious that there are those around him listening to this parable. Those who deem themselves to be righteous with no felt sense of spiritual need. Those indeed who would despise the publican even as the Pharisee dragged him in to his prayer. The master wanted to give all the stress to this. I tell you, this man, this publican, he went down to his house justified. This prayer, of course, could not have been more brief. Indeed, in the original, there are fewer words than in the English. And yet it is remarkable for its fullness of meaning. In this prayer, in this plea, are found those essential truths that pertain to the salvation of the soul. Unlike the prayer of the Pharisee, the publican's prayer has nothing to do with trifles. How the Pharisee trotted out those things. Oh, I fast twice every week. I give tithes of all that I possess. But for the publican, his prayer concerns matters of the greatest moment. Matters that could not be more weighty. Matters that concerned eternal issues. And the master is portrayed for us, one who with the Greatest possible earnestness 
is pleading for his soul's deepest need. And what was that? Pardon for sin. Acceptance with God. Now tell me, do you know that's your greatest need? To have your sins pardoned. To know the free and full forgiveness of all of your sin. And to find acceptance before God for time and eternity. There is, of course, an underlying depth of meaning to all this that is so vital. Hence the reason why I read to you from Romans chapter 3. For the Bible plainly states, there is none that seeketh after God. So this seeking of the publican clearly indicates the Holy Spirit was deeply at work in his soul. Now our Lord Jesus, as recorded in John's Gospel chapter 3, taught us that the work of the Holy Spirit is inscrutable. It's mysterious. He used the figure of speech, you recall, like the blowing of the wind. And therefore, it's a very striking and a significant thing that in every case of conversion recorded in Scripture, no direct mention is made of the Spirit. But however, the Savior also clearly indicated that if the work of the Holy Spirit is mysterious and inscrutable, like the windy effects of it, are both seen and felt. And that's no more clearly set before us than it is here in this wonderful little parable. And I just want to set three things before you. With reference to that, I want you to notice firstly the place he occupied. Look at the verse 13. And the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. The place that he occupied, and quite simply, it really is evangelical language. He took the sinner's place. He took the sinner's place. May I say to you, if you're ever to be saved, you have to take the sinner's place. How many, alas, are shut out of heaven because of pride? The publican had learned what the Pharisee had never learned. That he was a sinner in need of divine mercy. Now, doubtless, the Pharisee was far superior in learning than the publican. He would have known every fact of Old Testament history. He was well acquainted with every part of the Jewish law. He was well first in all of the ceremonies of his religion. But alas, he was ignorant of what is basic to true and saving religion. That he was a sinner in need of divine mercy. 
Now, of course, as preachers love to point out, the language here in the Greek is very emphatic. God be merciful to me, the sinner. If there is not another sinner in the world, he was one. And unlike that Pharisee, the publican saw in himself nothing but sin. You remember those striking words of Paul when he is speaking about our Lord Jesus Christ and the purpose of us coming into the world. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. And Paul adds, of whom I am chief. They are really amazing words. And I can say personally I felt at times I want to take issue with Paul. You say, why would you say that? Because of those times when I have felt myself to be the chief of sinners. Why when you sit in the believer's prayer meeting and you hear the saints praying, my how often. In prayer, they're giving thanks to God that God had mercy in such a poor, ruined sinner such as they are. What did you ever see in me, Lord, that you loved me? Oh, do you know anything of that tonight? How evidently he deplored his sinfulness. You see, every significant gesture here reveals to us how deeply he felt himself a sinner before God, utterly undone. You'll notice those words, verse 13, standing afar off. Oh, how he felt his condemnation. You see, unlike the Pharisee, the publican was concerned only for what he was in the sight of God. Now, how often the Lord Jesus reminds us about the Pharisees, that they loved to be seen of men, that they sought out the prominent places, that they paraded themselves before men. We see it here in this very parable, but this publican was concerned only for what he was in the sight of God. He felt like David against thee, thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. And burdened with that consciousness of his guiltiness and consumed with the thought of his own unworthiness, he stands afar off because, you see, he feels his sin has set him at a distance from God. What great conviction he felt. He would not lift up his eyes so much unto heaven. You see, his sinful guilty state was so real to him. And it's such a sense of shame before God. And he felt the burden of his sin and guilt. It bowed him down. He wouldn't look up. Then you'll notice those words. He smote upon his breast. Oh, he felt much contrition. Again, the Greek language indicates this was something that he was doing continually. Beating on his breast. 
like one who felt more than he could give expression to. How suggestive that is. Suggestive of grief and anguish, of sorrow, of brokenness of heart. Indeed of his felt indignation against the sin. It's as if he's saying, oh, this old wicked heart of mine. This foul, rebellious, obstinate heart of mine. Beating there upon his breast. And I tell you, if ever a man took the sinner's place, this publican did. What a picture it is. How thankful to God I am tonight to make the simple statement, the gospel is for sinners. The gospel is for such sinners. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Maybe, like myself, I'm getting on in years. I remember one occasion I was visiting a lovely cafe in Banbridge for the first time. I've been back often. It's very good. Recommended by the Reverend Trevor Baxter. That says it all. But if I drink coffee, it has an immediate effect upon an old fella. I'm not going into details. And I'm sitting at the table and I'm looking around and I'm looking for a door that's got a sign on it. And I thought I saw the door. And up I went to the door and on the sign it simply said, staff only. And I had to start looking again. You know, there's only one door through which we can approach God. There's only one door we can enter in to enjoy the pardon of sin. To find acceptance with God. And you know what it says on that door? For sinners only. For sinners only. Oh, that you would feel in the mercy of God tonight a sense of your sin and guilt before God. That God would acquaint you in his mercy with the plague of your own heart. How you have sinned and thought and word and deed. Those tables of the law, they lie as they lie at my feet. Broken. Shattered. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God. As we read there tonight in Romans chapter 3. I want you to notice not only the place he occupied, but the plea he offered. I want you to notice quickly how passionately he pleaded. True prayer in this prayer is so often short and sublime. It was sincere. It was spontaneous. There's nothing artificial about it. There's nothing formal about it. There's nothing forced about it. It's just the outpourings of a broken, penitent heart. It's the prayer of a dear man that means business with God. I want you to notice how personally he pleaded. God be merciful to me. He pleads as if he was the only man on the face of the earth who needed it. Such was the burden 
of his heart. You know, Bishop Ryle, and I certainly recommend as highly as possible the writings of Bishop Ryle to you, even to you parents. Expository thoughts on the gospel. Part of a chapter brings out simple and sublime lessons. We used it at the family altar in our home. Started with Matthew's gospel. I recommend it to you. They're readily available. He had a wondrous simplicity in the way that he wrote. This is what he said. Vagueness and generality are the great defects of most men's religion. To get out of we and our and us unto I and my and me is a great step toward heaven. You see, if you are to be saved, you must have personal dealings with God. You must have personal dealings with Christ. This is something I never understood as a young man. Never hearing the gospel preached and being such a stranger to it. And in such darkness, to me, the Christian was just one of the crowd who went to church. One of the crowd who were good neighbors and did all kinds of things. They kept the Ten Commandments, etc., etc. But that's what it was all about. But I tell you this, true and saving religion is intensely personal. Have you had those personal dealings in your heart with Jesus Christ in your conscience, in your soul? Are you able to say like Paul, the Son of God, he loved me. He gave himself for me. You know, when Dr. Paisley pointed me to Christ back in 1964, that's not yesterday. In those days, it was the most common of expressions to speak of how you had received the Lord Jesus Christ as your very own and personal Savior. It's personal. Have you received him? Can you say, dear Savior, thou art mine? How sweet the thought to me. But I want you to notice above all how powerfully he pleaded. He throws himself wholly upon God's mercy. Mercy is everything to him. It's the chief thing that he desires. And of course how true it is. Only mercy could span the great gulf between the thrice holy one and a wretched sinner, a guilty sinner like himself. And bless God there's mercy with the Lord. There's mercy for you tonight. God is rich in mercy. And you can taste the mercy of God tonight. But the most important thing to underline is the publican didn't urge his sense of sin. His conviction, contrition, confession as why he should obtain mercy. Now that's fatal. He does not say, God, be merciful to me, a penitent sinner. 
Oh, he was a penitent sinner. But he doesn't plead that. He doesn't say, oh God, be merciful to me, a praying sinner. And as I've indicated in this message already, he certainly was a praying sinner, but he doesn't urge that. He doesn't say, oh God, be merciful to me, a reformed sinner. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. I'm going to start doing the things I've never done and stop doing the things that I have done. I'm going to be better in the future. No, he doesn't urge any of that. The fatal thing here is that the publican pleads for mercy in the only way that God's personally pardoning mercy can flow to sinners, and that is through atoning blood. You say, how do we know that? Because of the deeply significant word that is used here, translated here in our English Bible, God be merciful. And it can legitimately be translated by another English word found in our Bible. God be propitiated to me, the sinner. That word is used in Hebrews 2 for Christ's work of making satisfaction for sin whereby sinners are reconciled to God. Again, we find that word translated in Romans chapter 3 and 1 John chapter 2. But the most significant place where we find this word is in Hebrews 9.5 where it is translated properly, of course, Mercy seat. Remember the publicans in the temple. Mercy seat literally means the place of propitiation. And that helps us to appreciate what it was the publican had in view. The mercy seat, you remember, it covered the Ark of the Covenant, and within the Ark were the tables of the law. And on that great solemn day of atonement, the high priest entered into the holiest of all. He sprinkled blood on that mercy seat, the atoning blood. And thus God's law that justly demanded the death of the sinner was appeased, was satisfied. And therein lies the mighty plea of the publican. He knew he could never render satisfaction to God to define justice. He could never appease God's wrath that necessarily burnt against sin. And therefore his eye there in the temple, we might very well say the eye of his faith, there in the temple was to the blood. To that divine mercy seat. To that propitiation. And I return to what I said at the very beginning in introduction. That is always the Holy Spirit's work. First of all, the work of the Holy Spirit is to convict of sin. To awaken the sinner to a sense of his terrible spiritual need. To cause him to feel the burden of the guilt of his sin. And then... 
It is the work of the Holy Spirit to cause the sinner to look alone to Christ. To bring him to the cross where the Savior suffered and bled and died. To cause him to see the dear Lamb of God. To look to the shed blood. To look to the one who is our propitiation. We were reading that very word tonight in Romans chapter 3. And you say, what does that word really mean? It simply refers to the fact that God's darling son, God's perfect son, was made sin for us. And he endured divine wrath in all of the mystery of it on the cross. Here in his love, not that we loved God, but that God loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And there on the cross, he suffered in our guilty room instead, all of sins deserving. And bless God, he rendered perfect satisfaction. I remember so many, many years ago listening to the Reverend John Morrow preaching and I'm talking about back in the 1970s. I never forgot it. I'd never heard it said before. He was talking about the wonder of this and he said concerning the Christian, the grace of God has put them where the wrath of God can never reach them. And so it is that the publican had an eye to that atoning blood, to that mercy seat, to that propitiation. And then finally and briefly, I want you to notice the peace he received. Again, I just underline those words of the first 14. I tell you, the Son of God says, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. Bless God, God's rich in mercy. His mercy endureth forever. He delights in mercy. And there was mercy for the publican. He came up to the temple. And we spoke of this with a heavy heart, with down, cast eyes. But he went down to his own house with a glad heart and with gospel hope. He went up to the temple burdened with sin and guilt. He went down to his own house pardoned and justified freely. And he went down to his own house with a sweet sense of forgiveness. He went up to the temple, a condemned sinner. And he went down to his house, a justified saint. And there's the witness of the Lord, I tell you. And I believe those whom he justifies, he always imparts to such a sweet sense of acceptance with God. I've always loved these words from those early days of grace, O perfect redemption, the purchase of blood. To every believer, the promise of God, the foulest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus, a pardon receives. That moment. That moment. You see, standing here in the pulpit, my memory's going back to 1964. And the Reverend Ivan Foster, of course he wasn't the Reverend Ivan Foster then, he's my brother-in-law as most of you know. 
And I say this advisedly. He really is dragging me to a gospel meeting. I don't want to go. I'm only there because my girlfriend, who's now my wife, was there. I didn't want her to get saved because I knew the reality now of what it meant to be saved. That was the end of all the worldliness. I got to the door and I took her by the arm and said, I don't want you getting saved in here tonight. The Beatles were coming for the first time to Belfast and I was a fanatical Beatles fan. I've often said it. Did anyone ever go to a gospel meeting in a more evil frame of spirit? With more resistance in their heart? And yet, men and women, that was the night God saved me. And I look back to that night until that blessed moment I went up the stairs to that little inquiry room still resisting and fighting. Dr. Paisley called me his most difficult convert. But I went down the stairs with a sense of acceptance with God and I couldn't have told you what that really meant. I went down those steps with a sense of peace. I went home and got down on my bedside as I'd been told by Dr. Paisley to repeat those words. Thank you, Lord, for saving my soul. In a moment. In a moment. That's why I love the words, the finest offender who truly believes that moment from Jesus a pardon receives. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God. You can go home tonight with peace with God with a blessed sense of forgiveness of sins oh that you may do so you know so many have died with the publican's prayer on their lips one of those was that distinguished Christian statesman William Wilberforce the liberator of the slaves and on his deathbed, he simply said, with regard to myself, I have nothing to urge but the poor publican's plea. God be merciful to me, a sinner. Now tell me in closing, will you believe the gospel? Will you accept Christ? Will you trust in his blood? Will you go down to your house justified? Oh, may God be pleased to add his blessing to the word of God as has been preached this evening hour. We do have to sing a closing hymn. And of course, it's a hymn that's really based on the text. I can say openly to you tonight as a congregation, this is a hymn that I repeat frequently in prayer. Indeed, I would say there is not a week passes in which I don't repeat these words that are found in this hymn. Depth of mercy can there be 
Mercy still reserved for me. Can my God as wrath forbear me, the chief of sinners, spare? See the cause. This is how I often pray it. See the cause in Jesus' face. Now before the throne of grace, there for me the Savior stands, shows his wounds, spreads his hands. Wonderful words here by Charles Wesley. We'll stand to sing them, please. in prayer tell me are those words true of you tonight are you in your usual place you attend the house and we're so glad that that is the case so many never frequent any house today but do you have to say I have long withstood his grace long provoked him to his face oh will you come tonight Will you come to Christ? Will you cry out to him? Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. What a promise the Savior gave. Him that cometh to me, I will in no wise cast out. Will you come? 
Will you receive Christ as it's freely offered in the gospel? Again, as this morning I say to you, I'm your servant in the gospel. What a joy it would be to open the word of God, to pray with you, to help you in any way that I can. But it's Christ you need. How wonderful it is for any preacher at the door when someone says, Preacher, I came to Christ in that meeting. I put all my trust in the Savior. Pray for me. Will you come? If I can help you, please make that known. Gracious, loving Father, we pray your blessing upon the word preached today for the continued ministry of thy divine spirit. For any among us this evening are who are yet without a Savior, draw them savingly to thyself. Remember all of the needs of this congregation. We ask, O God, in days to come that thou wouldst unite them behind God's man, that thy servant will occupy this pulpit to preach thy word, to proclaim the gospel, and to see a work done for God. Meet every need, give every guidance, and so separate us now in thy fear and favor. Grant to one and all journeying mercies. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.